Radio Show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Asinger, accompanied by my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey. You're listening to the only show in America where you will experience the fusion of church and state. So, on the Voice of Truth Radio Show, we'll be engaging in vigorous, robust discussion on culture, history, current events, and we'll give it to you from a biblical perspective on the Voice of Truth Radio Show which is every Thursday at 5 p.m., Saturdays at 3 p.m. Um, you can also podcast. Uh, we podcast at Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger. Email us at radio, voice of truth at, v, at uh, gmail.com. How you doing, Pastor Brian Leverson? Doing great. Good. A wonderful summer week. It's been nice yeah, and warm. Yeah, 95 and, today. Yeah. I've lost eight pounds. <laughs> my, goal was, uh, I need, my goal was about 50, but uh, well, I came close. I can ask God if you can dial it up to about 120 the rest of the week. We see can... <laughs> Could you do that? Um, please don't. <laughs> All right, so um, we got a great guest coming up, folks. Uh, Pastor, uh, professor William Janes, who is a brilliant man and is a professor of education, Cal State in Long Beach, mm. California. My neck of the woods. Where you come from, where yeah. you last came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he is the man who is essentially behind the uh, Bible in the schools movement. That's great. And he's been successful. The Lord's used him in a great way. Uh, and he's been successful, I think, in I think uh, 12 states. Hmm. West Virginia, it happened uh, last year, not this year, last year. Kentucky was in 2017. And before that, I'm not sure. But we'll get, uh, we'll get a lot of information from him. He's, uh, he's, he's got a f- phenomenal just uh, a test, his testimony of wh- how he grew up, how he came to Christ, and how the Lord, at a young age, shortly after he came to Christ, put it on his heart to uh, to begin begin putting the Bible back into the schools because mm-hmm. the Supreme Court said in 1962 uh, it was an 8-1 decision; it wasn't even close. They're God, you know, the Supreme Court. They're uh, yeah. they're God. They said no, no, uh, no Bible reading, no no prayer in 62. No Bible reading in 63. I think that's the order. Worst so, decision ever. Yeah. So look how we're doing since then, yeah. right? How's that worked out? So we'll talk to Professor Jane. So I want you to tune in. Meanwhile, uh, here is uh, a bit of news. Came out today. It turns out the most beautiful—this is your man, Todd Starnes. Yeah. His story. It turns out the most beautiful, quote-unquote, woman in Nevada— is a man. So for the first time, <laughs> quit laughing. Sorry. This is very serious stuff. First time in history, a man has won the uh, she uh, he. Don't get confused. Now. <laughs> the new Miss Nevada. The mo- the new Miss Nevada is a man. Wow. His name is. I don't know how to pronounce it. Enriquez is the last name. Uh was it close? I don't know. But he uh, is quite ravishing. You would never know 
God's not the author of confusion, but right. he brings about a lot of confusion because he looks like a beautiful woman. Wow. He, is, he does not have a cell in his body that is female. Yeah. Every cell in his body is male. Yeah. But he's, he's going, everyone, everyone's going to go along with it and call him a, a her, and he is not her. I, I have, I'm on this group on Facebook. It's called XLGBTQ. Hmm. And it's all of these these men and women who were uh, LGBTQ and whichever letter it was. Many of them were transgender and came to Christ. And they have side by side side pictures all the time. Hmm. And it's and 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 there's nothing. There's no greater story in the world than a redemption story. Absolutely. Somebody that comes to Jesus Christ. I don't care, you know, except for the resurrection itself. There is no greater story. And and the fun ones, uh, preacher, are the ones, <laughs> let's admit, where people were deep in sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and like the author of Amazing Grace, uh, how sweet the sound, they come to Christ and they have right. that stark contrast of before and after Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Yeah. And, you know, the Bible's full of those stories. And unfortunately, um, the world tries to blind the minds of those so that they won't believe that God can redeem them, that God can yeah. make them whole, that God can bring things that are confusion to things that have clarity. Because he is the creator. He is the author. He knows how things should work. And, you know, the interesting thing about this is not too many years ago, um, this gender dysphoria was was a treated issue. It was seen as something like like if I was supposed to if I went to the doctor and I said I'm a dog and I started barking and mm-hmm. they wouldn't say okay well let's uh, let's give you a bone and let's give you some dog food and let's uh, put a let's put you in in and take you to the vet yeah, and let's get you right. let's get you you know transitioned to become yep. that dog that you know that you are. They would have treated me for a dysphoria issue because. Just, just as well as I can't be a dog, I can't be a woman. I'm, I'm, I'm male. Yes. And so, um, I'm not saying that there aren't people that struggle with with issues. Um, but what I'm saying is, is that God can take those issues and and clear them up if if people will be given the option to pursue the right course of action. And the right course of action is how was I created? How was I designed? Yeah. And how can I fit that calling that God has given me? Yeah. I, uh, just look at Scripture. If you go through the Gospels, uh, some of the most fun stories, for lack of a better term, are are the ones where the uh, demon-possessed people. Right. Uh, these men groveling graveyards. Yeah. Cutting uh, themselves. Cutting and, themselves out of their senses. Mm-hmm. And Jesus Christ they have an encounter with Jesus Christ, not not with a social worker, you know, not with a sociologist, mm-hmm. not with a psychologist and psychiatrist. And I'm not demeaning all those uh, uh, occupations, but there is no encounter that will work except for Jesus Christ. Right. And well, because sin is the thing that breaks us. You know, mm-hmm. the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and death, of course, the term death means separation in the Bible, and. Mm-hmm. That can be separation in relationships, death of relationships. It can be physical death, separation from life. And when you're separated from your identity, that's also a result of our mm. sin nature. Mm-hmm. And so what God can do in restoration and redemption is he can connect us back with our identity, who we truly are, who we were created to be. And you'll never that's have great. any more joy. You know, you can either pretend that you're something you're not, 
or you can be reconnected with that which you are and have wholeness. And that's what Jesus can do mm-hmm. when he takes the sin away. And when you're unsaved, you are pretending a lot, aren't you? You're pretending mm-hmm. You're pretending you're that pretending everything's you're righteous. okay. Yes. Yeah. Right? Self-righteousness. All right. Uh, most every man will proclaim his own goodness. Right. Right. We right. all, hey, I'm good. Yeah. I think I'm good, preacher. Right. <laughs> but the truth is I am not. Right. And none of us is. Um until we come to Christ, and we still have that old man, but we do have a new man. The new man's righteous, right, and good, right, correct, because it's yep. it's Jesus Christ. It's All right, so here's some good news, and we'll finish out the first segment with this, and then bring uh, P- Professor James in here in just a few minutes. But this is a fantastic story. I posted this one on Facebook also, and uh, it nearly got a a look at. I p- I posted a bunch of Trump stuff from the rally. Mm. <laughs> Of course, everyone goes nuts over this. But here's the story. I, got, I think I got one one like on the whole thing. Number of growing children, number of children growing up with two parents rises to 70 percent. Hmm. That's that's fascinating. But then the last few words, the last phrase, re- really make it exciting. This is for the first time in 30 years. Wow. First time in 30 years. So it's been going down and down and down. Fewer and fewer children growing up with, with two parents. Mm. And I assume this is uh, this is daily caller. I, I assume this means uh, male and female uh, parents, but I don't know. But uh, if it doesn't, the others would be very few. And I think that this does – I think that this does mean something. So mm-hmm. the portion of U.S. children who live with both parents exceeded 70% in 2020, uh, reversing a nearly 30-year-long trend, Wow! data shows. So um, got any guesses? Why do you think that is? You know, I'd have to look at the data. I mean, there could be some really good reasons behind that. Um, I would say because of our social trends, though, there's some ominous things that that could speak to as well. Um, I'd like to see that juxtaposed against abortion numbers. You know, if uh, if people are are well, pro life, going down, which is good. Yes, That's, then that then that that probably is a good a good situation. Then the proportion of children under eighteen living with two parents declined from eighty eight percent in nineteen sixty. So nineteen sixty, wow. everything was cool, even in black families where there's so much single parent right. parenting going on. But uh, 88% in 1960 to just over two-thirds in 2005, um, while the uh, – let's see here. That's kind of uh, – anyway, so a reversal in this downward trend started in 2006, and then in 2020, the number of children uh, living with both parents um, fell – to uh, a 25-year low. Wow. Well, but, you know what? The Bible says that uh, wisdom is known of her children. And that's something that's across the board, not even just in, in believers, but wisdom is known by her children. And essentially what that means is is even somebody who is lost can look at their situation personally and say, you know what? I grew up in a one-parent home. I grew up in a non-ideal family situation. And I don't want that moving forward for myself. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pursue, you know, having that holistic family where there's a husband and there's a wife and there's children. And it could be that people who have, you know, a generation who has grown up or a couple generations who have grown up in that one parent type situation have said, Hey, I'm going to pursue something different. Yeah. I, you know, that that maybe they're saying, look, I went through a divorce. I know how, 
how painful it is as a as a child to go through that. I'm not going to do that uh, to my kids. Absolutely. So that could be it. It's just really exciting, though, that uh, a good. number of children growing up with two parents rises to 70% for the first time in 30 years. That mm. is the uh, article. It is in Daily Caller if you want to read it for yourself. But um, So I thought I'd bring a good, uh, encouraging story into the into the studio today all right so we're going to bring on in the next segment we're going to bring on professor uh, william james from cal state we're going to talk about the bible in schools and uh, this is a trend this is uh this is something under the radar pastor a lot of people don't even know about this uh and, and it's happening so um so we'll do that next you're listening to the voice of truth radio show this is your state senator mike azinger with pastor brian leversey we'll be back right after this welcome back to the voice of truth radio show i'm your host State Senator Mike Azinger with my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversee, the only show in America where you'll experience the fusion of church and state. We don't believe in that here, uh, do we, Pastor? No. God bless us. Amen. Put them back together. That's right? it. So we got a, a great honor today of uh, having a, a dear friend of mine, Professor William Jaynes from Cal State. He's a professor at Cal State University in Long Beach, and uh, Dr. James, thanks for coming on the show today. Oh, it is a joy to be with you. All right, good deal. Uh, I'm going to tell a little bit about you, and uh, uh, then we'll then we'll get right into it. But uh, Dr. James, it's J E Y N E S. I told you before, past, uh, Professor, that my mother's maiden name is James. It's only spelled differently. You are J E Y N E S. Mine is uh, J-A-N-E-S on my mother's side. Um, your side uh, got, went to Harvard. My side went to the local community college. <laughs> but I, I, think we're, I think that makes us distant relatives. Yes, there you go. I'll tell you. Yeah. All right, so you're a professor at Cal State and a senior fellow at the Witherspoon Institute in Princeton, New Jersey. Graduate degrees from Harvard and University of Chicago. Graduated first in your class in Harvard. That's the only thing you and I have in common. I remember those <laughs> days walking across and being the first in my class at Harvard. Uh, I was joking. It was about 185 academic publications, 120 articles, 16 books. Well-known speaker. You've spoken in 49 states in front of, I believe, three different presidents. Isn't that correct, uh, Professor? That is correct. Um, and you've... You, uh, have uh, interacted uh, interacted with George Bush, President Obama. You've uh, been a consultant for the United States and South Korean governments. You've been interviewed or quoted in the Washington Post, Los Angeles Times, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, London Times, AP, CNN, CBS, ABC, NBC, Fox, Al Jazeera, U.S. News, World Report, USA Today, and many more. Um, so... 
we're excited to talk today. To, and, and here's the great thing about Professor Jane's pastor is that with that big pedigree he's got, first in his class at Harvard, uh, he has a heart for God and to get the Bible back in schools. Amen. And that's how I met him. And he's your friend. Years. That's a miracle Yes, that is, God. That, that is a miracle. <laughs> uh, he, he doesn't know me well enough First yet. of all, it's a miracle to know you have friends, let <laughs> alone. <you know. laughs> yes, right. So... Um, I, let's talk about your your testimony, um, Professor. Uh, you, you know, you didn't grow up in a Christian home, right? No, correct. In fact, just the reverse. My parents uh, hated Christians. I mean, uh, they were anti-Christian bigots. I, I didn't realize it at the time, but that's really what it comes down to. So, uh, yeah, I was brought up in an atheistic family. And, uh, in fact, largely how I got involved with... Bible and prayer in the schools and putting it back in, is here I was in an atheistic family. I was raised in uh, New York City and the surrounding area. And when you're raised in New York City, especially during this Cold War era, it is a unique experience. You, If you're raised in New York City or Washington, D.C., you know growing up that if there's ever a war you are likely to be uh, among the first two targets. And, of course, we saw that on 9-11. Right. So whenever I would sign up to go to school, whenever anyone would in that area, you not only had to put the address of your school, you had to write the address of the closest bomb shelter. I mean, that was just what was done. Wow. And I remember how uh, Bible and prayer were still in the schools when, when I was very young. And uh, I remember praying, and it was a very generic prayer. Uh, usually we would say, grace, God is gracious, God is good, let us thank him for this food. And uh, I remember going to school during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I was very young at the time, so we didn't understand all the ins and outs of the Cuban Missile Crisis, but... We understood the ramifications. We knew if there was a nuclear war, and we understood what nuclear war was, more or less, mm -hmm. that if there was nuclear war and New York City was attacked, it would end life as we knew it. And so it's kind of ironic because uh, I'm here in California, and we do an earthquake drill occasionally. And I know about those. The same, yeah, pretty much <laughs> the same as a nuclear bomb drill. You put your hands over your neck, put your head underneath the desk, and that's a nuclear bomb drill, and that's what we did. And talk about God's sense of humor, because as if that's going to do a whole lot of good <laughs> if there was a nuclear bomb drop. But that's what we did. And our teacher was very, very sensitive, because she realized this could be traumatic. And so I didn't realize it at the time. But now I realize, oh, my goodness, my, my teacher was a genius the way she did it, because what she would do is we would do the nuclear bomb drill, and then we would pray for God's protection, and then we would have cookies and milk. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do here at the and church. The sermons are so bad. We <laughs> you had requested nuclear bomb drills. <laughs> yeah. Did we do a nuclear bomb drill? Yeah. Because we wanted cookies and milk, and I look back at that, and I think, wow, what a teacher, and thank God that prayer was available, because it wasn't only the cookies and milk that we wanted, but we wanted that peace, 
And here I was, an atheist, praying for God's protection, and largely what brought me to Christ. I mean, I went through a lot of traumatic events. I had a mentally ill mom, divorced parents, lonely child, Hmm. had to take care of my very dangerous mom. And going through all that in my teenage years, I looked back and I thought, wow, you know, I don't don't have any peace about life whatsoever. Hmm. And I recalled the one time in my life that I sensed I was at peace, and that's when I prayed, ironically, during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And so that was really the genesis of it all and how I came to Christ. That is just a great story, and I forgot that particular part about it. But uh, you were an atheist, atheist and remembered praying in school and how good it felt, and that was part of the impetus for, uh, for your, your getting behind putting the prayer and Bible back in school. So uh, real quickly, though, because I'm sure we have some girls in the audience, we want to hear the love story of where and how you met your wife, who is much too pretty for you. You're like <laughs> Pastor, his wife. Mine is too, all three of us. We all, we all married up. But uh, how and where you, uh, you met your wife many years ago? Yes, I uh, met her when I spoke at um, Yoido Full Gospel Church, which uh, was, and I didn't deserve the uh, invitation, but I received it because it was the world's largest church at the time. It was about <laughs> half, half a million members at the time. And eventually, if you can't find a girl there, you can't find one anywhere, right? I mean, that's like the biggest, that's the biggest fish in the uh, biggest pond in the world. Especially since about 70% of the membership female. <laughs> oh, is that right? Wow. Good ratio. There you go. <laughs> I hear plane tickets being bought all over the valley. Yeah, yeah we're, we're probably going to get all these requests for the address of the church. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But so, in any case, I, I prayed, uh, and I really, as I prayed, I sensed it was mating season, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I sensed that, and I really wanted to meet my wife in a, in a church or in an environment where people were just on fire for God. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there are Christians with a, well, I'll put it this way, with a, a small C and a capital C, and I mean, it's up to God to determine <laughs> who's there on that final day, but they're clearly some people who are more committed than others, and mm. South Korea at the time was really the world center for revival. Mm. And yeah, I just sensed, I said, God, I, I need to make a decision that's not only good for her, not only good for me, but I got to protect the gospel. I did a lot of itinerizing church to church back then, and um, I <laughs> lived in some homes, you know, temporarily for a few days or a week where I thought, whoa, it's important to marry the right person. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> it right. was the fear of God in me. I saw a lot of lovely homes and then not so lovely homes, and I said, God, give me some signs that uh, I w- when I meet that special someone, and um, the Lord basically uh, fulfilled all four uh, of the signs one by one, and I never told her. And wow. then I figured if it was God, God would work on her heart in uh, the same way. And uh, he did. And within a matter of months, we both knew that God had uh, spoken to us in one way or another. And uh, yeah, that's how, uh, that's how we met. And it was amazing. As soon as I entered the sanctuary to speak, I sensed 
the Lord impressed upon my heart, your future wife is in this room, and boy, did he get that right. Wow. <laughs> no great. surprise, right? He that's great. Right. What a, that's a great story. So let's get into the uh, the Bible in schools and uh, just looking looking back into the 60s, uh, Professor Janes, uh, I'm a little bit of a historian. I know uh, just from some copious reading I've done in the last 20 years, everything happened in the 60s. Everything was disrupted in the 60s. Yeah. And in 1962, you have Engel uh, v. Vital or Vitali, which uh, whichever it is. Uh, you had the prayer ta- had prayer taken out of the public schools, and then one year later, you had the Shemp decision in 1963 that took Bible reading out of the schools. And these weren't, these are kind of like Roe v. Wade, uh, which was a 7-2 decision. These are 6-1 and 8-1 decision. And so uh, Madeline Murray O'Hare was involved in all this. Um, And uh, you had some, uh, uh, one of the, one of the, uh, two of the worst decisions from the Supreme Court in, in the history of our country, if not the worst. Oh, Absolutely. And uh, you do have uh, Madeline Marie O'Hare, who was the president of the leading atheist group at the time, and she really um, manipulated her son, William Marie. In fact, he later confessed this in a, an editorial to the Baltimore Sun uh, when he became an adult, basically a, uh, an editorial of apology saying, look, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just a kid. He became My a believer, right? Me. Yeah. Pardon? He became a believer, right? He did. And he wrote a book that I recommend all the listenership uh, read, and it's called My Life Without God. Hmm. And he shared how uh, basically almost every other word, probably a quarter of her words, were cuss words. In fact, there are not many tapes of her on the Internet, but... If one so chooses to see how she spoke and to confirm what he said, you can. And he said uh, he was abused. He also accused her of using money that was uh, designed to fund her organization, and she used it to take vacations. He said she was the utmost uh, hypocrite, and uh, much to mom's chagrin, not only did he become a Christian, but he became a minister. He did. Wow. That's right. It's, it's and it. I was humbled. I was humbled that a book I've written on the topic about putting character education, Bible, and prayer in the schools. Um, he wrote the forward. Oh, is that, that right? Book. That yeah, is, that and is great. you know, here you go. We were talking about how before the broadcast how God has a sense of humor, and boy, if that isn't an example. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> he no. takes these two guys, yeah. both of whom were raised in, uh, I would say, militant atheistic families, uses both of us, yes, with a very similar background, oh, man. to team up on this book about hmm. putting Bible and prayer back in. And if that doesn't make the angels rejoice, and yes, God even laugh, I don't know what does. God, you know, just as it says in the last five or six verses of First Corinthians chapter 1, he, he chooses the weak, he chooses the foolish, because in the end, that gives him so much glory, and everyone hmm. knows it's not about us. It's about him. He'll use anyone who's willing. Wow. Well, uh, Professor, I'm, I'm just curious. So, so you come from this background 
of atheism, and then you, you come into this position that God brings you into to be kind of a champion of his word and getting it back in the public sphere and, of course, back in the educational system. And, of course, you told how you had a teacher that prayed and that affected you. I'm curious, though, as you ascended in your education, of course, then, of course, attended Yale. Uh, or I'm sorry, Harvard. Sorry, I don't want to sorry make you mad. Sorry, professor. don't hit me. <laughs> don't don't hit me, that Professor. I'm sorry. We, <laughs> we Yaleys take great offense to that. That's right. That's right. Um, you yeah, have to remember, Yale is a four-letter word. <laughs> <laughs> as uh, as you kind of uh, matriculated through there, uh, did you did you see um, any kind of real um, impression uh, concerning the Word of God or? Any teaching concerning God as you ascended in education? What what was kind of the environment that you had your higher education in? Oh, for sure, there is a bias against um, in a lot of these universities, and uh, it's really sad. But on the other hand, you know, it's interesting because I remember my parents raising me, telling me Christians are this way, Christians are that way, hmm. and then guess what? I started to meet Christians. Once I got saved, and I thought, wow, Christians are just the reverse. Uh, someone is doing a terrible job of PR. And I thought the, the Church needs to do a better job of communicating who we are all about with uh, the doubting world. And especially one of the things that Harvard and uh, some of the other Ivy League universities uh, became aware of, uh, I'd say about 15 years ago, uh, they sent out surveys, and they found out that probably a good 15 to 20 percent of their uh, graduates over the years uh, are born-again Christians. And they thought, whoa, we have got to change our attitude uh, towards born-again Christians. And there's some dirty little secrets about uh, uh, God still doing some stuff on these campuses. Now, wow. we, used to, we used to joke at Harvard because the main entrance to Harvard Yard, uh, of course, goes back, you know, hundreds of years, but yeah. there's a giant uh, verse uh, over the main arch that says, these are the gates of the Lord, the righteous shall enter therein. Wow. And I used to joke with my wife, oh, that's why people are using the side entrance. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, yeah, but, go ahead. One of the dirty little secrets is we sometimes, oh, before COVID, we'd take in a Harvard football game when, say, I was speaking out in the Cambridge-Boston area. We'd go about once a year, and you'd see these two football teams, and their dirty little secret is uh, the Ivy League schools recruit heavily from Christian schools, and I would say probably a good 20 to 25 percent of the players on each team have uh, Bible first hmm. names. So you get in these situations wow. where Isaiah just uh, tackled Noah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I would turn to my wife and I, I said, this is the way it's going to be in heaven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. So there, and and it, it, it's amazing because... Uh, I remember how, uh, in, in fact, even the way the uh, Star Spangled Banner, the national anthem, is dealt with at Harvard, the NFL could take some lessons, because I remember when this first, a few years ago, when this first became a controversy, I was listening to a Harvard game on the radio, and one of their announcers said, uh, 
guess what? Good news already. And the other person said, really? The game hasn't even started yet. He said, no, good news already. No one's kneeling during the national anthem. And what they would do is they would bring out all the branches of the military. Now, that Harvard wouldn't dare call it conservatism. They'd call it traditionalism. traditionalism. Yeah, right. But uh, when, the start, when the military comes out, all the branches, uh, even the Coast Guard, and uh, they say, will everyone stand and remove their hat and let's honor those who have died and served that we might be free. Now, yeah. how can you sit wow. for that? That's great. And then you, you go home, and at the, they first of all, they, they don't, they make it clear no profanity will be tolerated, no drinking of alcohol will be tolerated, and then at the end of the game, they say blessings for safety on your way home. And this is not Biola or Wheaton or Gordon Conwell we're yeah. talking about. Right. So there's some things there. There's a lot of wacko things. Uh, but uh, Harvard just finished a conference uh, promoting homeschooling. Wow. You'd never get. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't. And so, you know, there are some things going on at these universities that you will not see uh, covered by the mainstream media, but they're there. That's great. Great uh, great to hear that. It really is. Let's talk a, a little bit about your uh, your heart for getting the Bible back in schools. That's how we met. Let me just set it up real quickly with uh, – I was uh, – saw uh, something on uh, Facebook about Kentucky. This is 2017. Kentucky uh, putting the Bible back in schools, passing a bill to put the Bible back in schools. I contacted the legislator from Kentucky who led that charge. He said to call a guy named uh, Professor William Janes at uh, Cal State in California. He will be the man. And uh, you're kind of the, the, the man behind this movement. Tell us, uh, Professor Janes, uh, a little bit uh, about how this started, how many states, and, and how God put it on your heart, and uh, uh, so on. Well, I, uh, right after I came to Christ, and I came to Christ back in 1975, and I won't go through all the events that, you know, were, took place in the aftermath of praying uh, in the schools, uh, but again, a very traumatic childhood. And when I came to Christ, I realized that I wasn't even sure, in fact, maybe I wouldn't have come to Christ had there not been Bible and prayer in the schools. Hmm. And should kids not be given that opportunity, because it's ironic. So many progressives say, well, we need to teach the whole child, uh, W-H-O-L-E, mm-hmm. but in their perception of the whole child, there is a whole, H-O-L-E, mm-hmm. and that whole is they treat children basically like non-spiritual beings. So when I came to Christ, I said this prayer to God, And I said, Lord, uh, Bible and prayer have played such a huge part in me coming to Christ. I just want you to know I'm available should you ever desire to see this come back in the schools. And then, oh my goodness, it's been a long time ago. Of course, I started to first speak on the necessity of it way back in 1978, Mm. as I did a lot of speaking. But then a momentum developed so that there was uh, an opportunity uh, that arose, oh, I would say it was probably about 16, 17, uh, 18 years ago, 
And more and more Christians realized that there was an opportunity even in um, the decisions made by the Supreme Court in which uh, it was stated that uh, this is not an intent, you know, this does not say that the Bible is not uh, allowed to be taught in the schools. Uh, in Abington versus Shemp, it states that as long as it is done in an objective way and as part of a secular curriculum, um, that the Bible can be taught. And so it was clearly constitutional. Yes. And uh, I even did uh, an interview with the ACLU, their magazine. <laughs> you know, I actually try to avoid publicity, but I pray over each interview opportunity that there is, and I, I ask God, well, you know, am I to do this? Am I not? And when the ACLU invited me to uh, be interviewed by their primary magazine, I thought, well, this is a no-brainer. No, they're going to twist everything I, I say, but I did it. I felt a piece. And you know what? The, the piece they put in the magazine was objective. Wow. And sure. it's really helped in my relationship with the ACLU ever since then. Oh. Um, not that they, you know, they're enthused about what I do, but they respect me. And I even, I remember when we were getting the Bible back into Arizona about a decade ago, uh, I, I testified there, and then a member of the ACLU followed me as I got up to use the restroom. And he said, what are you going to say? <laughs> and there, basically, I witnessed to him in the men's room. Yeah, there you go. That'll teach a captive audience. And, you know, it's amazing what he said. He said, you know what, I, the only disagreement we have is on the Bible being in the schools, but now that I've talked to you, I, I realize I need to get back to following Christ. Hey. I need wow. to start having a morning devotional uh, each day, and this is what I mean that I think we as Christians need to stop being on the defensive. We yes. should not be apologetic about pro-life, etc., etc. What have we got to be apologetic That's right. That's Let's That's stop exactly being right. on the defensive let us take the initiative and realize that a lot of people are open. The important thing is to be guided by the Lord as we share our beliefs and share mm. our worldview. Christian cowardice turns the world off, I yep. believe. Uh, all yes. right, so here's what we're going to do, Professor. We are going to bump out of this segment, going to take a quick break. When we get back, um, I want to hear your metadata analysis in terms of what the Bible in public schools, how it affects the student. Does it help them? Does it hurt them? And uh, then we're going to do uh, just uh, five or six minutes also. I want to get uh, Professor Jane's uh, interpretation of uh, critical race theory, what he thinks uh, the damage could be, and how we, how we fight it. So uh, we're going to do one more segment after the break with Professor William Jaynes, and he's the education professor at Cal State in Long Beach, California. A great individual, lo loves God, and we'll do that when we get back. You're listening to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. Your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, with my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey, pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church, where I also attend. And uh, we have the honor of having on the show today Professor William Jaynes, pastor of... 
I keep calling him pastor. <laughs> professor William Jaynes, who uh, is a professor at Cal State University, first in his class at Harvard, and then uh, University of Chicago. Where'd you get your your uh, doctorate? Chicago. That's where you got your. Did you go to Wisconsin? Also, I remember something. I about did. Some. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, all all of these. Uh, evangelical. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right, so we're going to do a. Uh, we want to hear. I want to hear. I want you to tell folks because when you testified in committee um, in Charleston, when we when we ran the uh, with uh, 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 we went, when we ran the the Bible in the schools bill. That's what I always call it. Uh, it it, re, it ran into some bumps the first time we did it. It just was really bad. You weren't there, but I told you about it. And the next year, yeah. I thought I didn't even want to do it. So I, um, and then the third year, um, we decided to do it again. And you you have you have great great faith. And providentially, God brought into the house of uh, house of delegates down there, Kevin. Kevin Bartlett, who's a pastor in Charleston, and he was only there for that one session, lost re-election, but he just maneuvered that bill so adroitly and so well, uh, wisely wonderful. in the House, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't think we would have done it without him. It was actually his bill that made it all the way through, but when you came down and, uh, you know, before we got on the air, Pastor Leversey was asking me, you know, how, how effective was your uh, testifying and how important was it in these committees, and I said, I, I don't think that we'd ever made it had you not come down. So just explain uh, to the audience what you said in terms of the metadata analysis, I think I'm using the right term there, of, of how the, the Bible affects the student. Well, first, yes, absolutely, I'm happy to. And let me first explain for our listeners what a meta-analysis is, because guess what? Most people don't know. So if the person listening is saying, wow, never heard of that before, don't feel bad, because most people don't know what a meta-analysis is. So what a meta-analysis is and why it's so powerful is you statistically combine all of the studies that have ever been done on a particular topic, and the results summarize the existing body of research. So if there have been 25, 30, 50, 100 studies done on a particular topic, rather than read through them all and get different directions of effect, you can do one combining them all. Now, it takes time, usually takes two or three years to do each meta-analysis. You have to be a little bit crazy, therefore, (laughs) to do them. But fortunately, I'm a little bit crazy. (laughs) That helps. And um, I do these meta-analyses. And then also you need a certain degree of humility to do a meta-analysis because if you do just one study and the results point in one direction, you might be able to explain away why those uh, results went in a different direction than what you expected. But when you're dealing with so many studies, you can't do that. When you're dealing with tens of thousands, in some cases hundreds of thousands of people who are being measured, you can't do that. And I think that actually gives Christians a little bit of an advantage in doing a meta-analysis, because guess what? If we believe one thing and the Word of God says, nope, it's actually this, guess who changes? We have to line up with the Word of God. And the same thing with the meta-analysis. You really have to line up with the numbers and be a person of integrity. And what's really encouraging is when you combine all of the studies that have ever been done 
that uh, qualify. You know, it has to be of a certain quality and they have to have certain measures. Um, but the, all of the studies indicate that being a person high in Bible literacy is much better than being in low in Bible literacy as measured not only in academic achievement, which actually is our emphasis. We usually argue that point. It gets a little bit touchy when you start to go into the behavioral aspect. But I imagine. Let's just stick with <laughs> academics for a moment. Uh, what uh, the studies I've done, the meta-analyses I've done indicate consistently is that students high in Bible literacy average uh, about one full grade point higher than their counterparts who are low in Bible literacy. So yes, you heard me right. Uh, someone low in Bible literacy might average a C. Someone high in Bible literacy is going to average a B. And in fact, one, um, one indication uh, that uh, the effect of faith is so dramatic is just a little bit of a side point here. If you examine African-American and Latino students who are Christians uh, and come from an intact family, guess what? The achievement gap totally disappears. Hmm. So here we are with wow. billions of dollars that? to try to reduce yeah. the achievement yeah. gap, hmm. and the answer has been right in front of Golly. us. Wow, the that is good. Hey, man, that's, and that's this excellent. raises eyebrows everyone wants achievement to go up and it shouldn't surprise us because guess what i mean i'll use myself as an example i struggled with shakespeare when i was a student and uh, Who's guess that? what shakespeare <laughs> cites the bible 1300 yes. times wow. so if you if you struggle with old english and you don't know the bible wow you're in trouble reading shakespeare and many of the great authors assume at least a working knowledge uh, of the Bible when students go to school. 1,300 times the Bible is mentioned in Shakespeare. Yes. Uh, and, and that's just that's fascinating. Um, it's just it's just irresistible knowledge to uh, information you're giving too. you know, you, here you are, you're, you're, you have all these degrees, you're first in your class in Harvard, and you talk often about how uh, you're very humble about it, you know, how God uses that. And uh, you don't brag about it, but but when you have somebody testifying mm. in a committee it's at a, a state capitol, yeah. it's a qualifier, yeah. and it, it also it gives you so much credi- uh, credibility. And you come and say, "Look, uh, somebody, uh, you have a st- one student that has um, a lot of Bible knowledge, and one student has none. There's going to be one uh, a, f- a full full grade point between the two. That's yeah. that's you can't you can't resist that kind of." Uh, uh, that kind of logic, right? Absolutely, absolutely. What What was fascinating to me about what uh, your data uncovered was that it doesn't matter what background you come from. If you have Bible literacy, there's a um, an equalization that takes place in how more how much more productive you become as a as a, a student in in academia and. That, that's awesome to know because we are really one in Christ. And, you know, this whole idea of pitting races against each other, I know we're going to get into critical race theory here in just a moment. It's amazing how the Bible actually comes into that whole situation and blows out this whole track that uh, the schools are trying to force uh, down students' throats of, of trying to increase their productivity by 
implementing this kind of racial division in schools and, and in society and so on and so forth, when really the answer is the Word of God. Yes, yes. And in fact, it, it's very hard to have been one who lived through the Civil Rights Movement and Martin Luther King's emphasis on love mm. and that people should not be judged by the color of their, sin, their skin, but the content of their character, the content of their heart. And it's very hard to have gone from that, where there was so much emphasis on love and let's embrace one another, and we're all on the same team. And wow, doesn't it give you such a degree of comfort, I'm being sarcastic here, that here we are in this country fighting one another. Meanwhile, China has just developed the largest navy in the world, as, right. as measured by number of ships. Wonderful. Yeah. And yet we're so focused on fighting one another that our country is, is really in decline. And it, it's just so sad to, to watch. And at critical race theory, you know, they say they talk about being anti-racist is the term that is often used, and, and I'm going, that, wow, has the bar been lowered? All we have to do is be anti-racist, and that's it? Yeah. I mean, I don't even really need to, to love uh, all my, my fellow Americans and, and wish them well and wish them the best. All I have to be is anti-racist. And yet a lot of young people who have not lived through the civil rights movement don't perceive that we are going down in terms of where the, the level of the bar is at. We're not going up, and I just don't see um, this succeeding. I hate to be a pessimist, but I just don't see this as succeeding uh, because of the absence of, of love. There's just such hatred uh, in this country that I have not seen in my lifetime. And and is course, it, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah it, 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 it's, you know, the pastor and I talk about this a lot, and, and pastor's really good at uh, giving this a, a, a biblical perspective, but when you become the anti-racist, you're you're all of a sudden uh, washed clean. You're yeah. you're the you're the good guy. You're the victim, and uh, uh, this is it's, it's antithetical to the gospel because you have that Marxist paradigm of the oppressor and the oppressed. And when yeah. you're the oppressed, you're the victim, and you're sinless because you're you're a victim. And the oppressor is is uh, the sinner. And uh, they they can't they can't find redemption outside of uh, just a perpetual lifelong eternal uh, groveling, right? You know, so um, it's 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 not it's not scriptural or or uh, uh, it doesn't align with the gospel, does it? No, and it's it's just sad that uh, critical race theory is so superficial, basically defining an entire person by their race, which is antithetical to what Martin Luther King taught, saying, wait a minute, we don't want to be defined that way. We want to be defined by the heart. And it's just sad that we're going in entirely the, uh, the wrong direction. We should be loving one another, supporting one another. And uh, okay, you know, if I mean, this doesn't mean that we don't talk about issues of race. We should talk about uh, issues of race, but all people's experiences should be free to be brought to the table because, sure, you want to talk about microaggressions? Okay, I'm willing to talk about micro microaggressions, but what about the macroaggressions that in many cases uh, have been directed against uh, white people? I mean, that in this scenario, uh, these uh, experiences are not welcome, and when that happens, 
We're treating one another as less than a person, and uh, that is so unbiblical where everyone has value in Christ. I mean, putting aside the movement Black Lives Matter for a moment, that, you know, I'm sure many listeners might have some objections to that movement, in the eyes of Christ, Black Lives Matter, White Lives Matter, Latino <laughs> Lives Matter, Native Lives all lives matter. Unborn lives matter, yep. One person, if there was just one person of any of the races that I just mentioned, only one person on the face of the earth who was alive at that time, Jesus still would have gone to the cross to die for that person. That's love. Amen. And uh, we, we have gotten, uh, we've gotten away from that, and uh, it's, it's, it's very, very sad. Amen. Well, we're going to end it with that. That's a great, uh, a great end cap that you just put on a, a wonderful interview. Pass uh, there. I go again, Professor <laughs> William James from Cal State uh, in Long Beach, and he is the man that uh, is behind getting so many of these states uh, to make it lawful to to teach the Bible in uh, in public schools. Um, and West Virginia passed that law. Last year, had a great time when you came came to town. We had a great dinner at Outback Steakhouse after we God gave us that victory in education committee, right? Yes, I remember that well. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. So we'll do it again. We got to get you out here sometime. You you uh, got to make up a reason to come to West Virginia, bring your wife, and uh, come to church here at Fellowship Baptist. But thanks a lot for uh, for coming on. The show, Professor William uh, Jaynes, and God bless you. We love you, and uh, we'll have you back on again soon. Amen. Love you, too. Thanks for having me on. It's Thank you, Professor. and an honor. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Take care. Take care. This is Voice of Truth Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. I am your host, State Senator Mike Azinger, along with my co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey. So, as always, hey, look, if, if they missed the last interview that we did with uh, Professor William, William James from California, we did it on the Bible in Schools, go to our podcast. Where do we podcast? We podcast at Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger, or go to the Facebook page, and you can you can link it to that. It's great Praise interview. Praise FM. 103.9, our Facebook page. Okay, there you go. Um, all right, so we got our last week. <laughs> I never thought I never thought this was coming to an end. I, how are we going to know how to behave after this? Well, we're going to have to come up with some other ideas, which I have. All right. Um, so this is called the 50 Little Social Etiquette Rules Everyone Should Follow. We've been doing this for 10 weeks, 10 shows, <laughs> and uh, – we're done. Well, this is the last. I, I think five. I've noticed as I've been out and about that people are grabbing onto these things. Have you really? And my, it just makes you think about my how wife broad of us. Noticed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that I think that the whole Middle Ohio Valley has Must been be nice listening through. to us. Did yeah. you? I think so. Yeah. All right. So forty six is. I don't like this one, and I disagree with it. But okay. I'm gonna say it. Learn to say you're sorry. Oh. Do you think? Do you think? Do I have you, no problem saying you're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we'll go on from there. Yeah. So you, yeah, okay. So say you're sorry. You all can do it if you want. I'm, I'm never wrong. Forty-seven. When you enter a room, greet everyone. That is a great rule. It is. 
I think it's an important one. You know, I, I think that— Never leave anybody out. Don't leave everybody anybody out. is equally yeah. important in the eyes of God. Yeah. One thing, uh, 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 you can you can learn in politics, too. You can learn uh, political principles from, from the Bible, all yeah. throughout the Bible. Um, one, one thing that uh, I noticed about uh, uh, David, the Bible says about King David, that the people of Israel loved him because he went in— in and out among the people. Mm, mm-hmm. Israel loved him because he went in and out among the people. Yeah. He went to the grocery store. He'd see him down. Maybe the car wash. Piggly Wiggly. He was Tim there. Hortons. Yeah. I'm sure he drank Tim Hortons. Yeah. <laughs> All right. When you enter our room, greet everyone. Number 48, return calls. Return your telephone calls. The ones you want to? <laughs> <laughs> we're not, or, real, we're not real hot on any uh, of these, yeah, are we? Yeah. 49, never show up empty-handed. So if you go into a party or somebody's house, my wife's really good at that. Take you know, yes, she's so my wife. She's, she's always really considerate. Something. You know, uh, I'm pretty much just thinking about the food I'm going to run into when I get there. What am I going to get? Yeah, when I get and there? Uh, my wife's always like, "No, we need to bring something. Bring or, something when you go." Yeah. Number fifty, and our very last one. Until next week, we'll come up with something else. Be a pleasant house guest. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever, when you're a kid, uh, one of your siblings had somebody spend the night and they weren't pleasant house guests? Hated that. <laughs> uh, of course, I had a sister. I didn't have any brothers, so she'd have those sleepover things, you yeah. know, and it's just like nail polish everywhere. Yeah, and, that's the worst. Ugh. All right, we're out of here, folks. We are done with that list. It's kind of sad. It's kind of a bittersweet thing. We're glad to be done with it. Um, the magazine's talentcountrymag.com. The article is 50 Little Social Etiquette Rules Everyone Should Follow, and uh, we had fun with it. And we had fun on Voice of Truth Radio Show today. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Asinger, with Pastor Brian Leversey. Hey, we're going to see you folks next week. Take care. I will choose to-